Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? All right, y'all. So it's another Sunday night and you're on the couch with me, Dr. Delvina, uh, your board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. It's just me on the couch tonight because I am just decided not to have a guest tonight. Um, I actually wanted to do um, a special on self-care and I decided to change that because of all of this trending information about high functioning depression. If you follow me on Instagram or um, on TikTok, you know that I posted uh, a video, maybe by now a video or, or two about functional depression. There was an article that was dropped by the Washington Post and that it was in the wellness section and it was titled, what does high function and depression mean? We asked experts. So before I get into that article, though, I just kind of want to do a little update and just a couple of shout outs. There is um, a woman by the name of, uh, they say Lucy, but it's spelled Lucia. May Harris, she's an American professional or was an American professional basketball player, and she was considered to be one of the pioneers of women's basketball. Big ups to her. Shout out to her. She was born in Mississippi, like my parents and a lot of my family. Born in Mississippi a year after my mother. She's an Aquarius. She was born February 10th, 1955, and she just passed away just about two months ago, January 18th this year, she passed away in Mississippi. She was 6'3". In 1977, she was drafted in the NBA. I said the NBA because the WNBA wasn't around yet. She was drafted by the NBA in round seven. She was the 137th overall pick, but she declined. She did not want to uh, participate with the NBA. Who knows why, but the rumor has it that she thought the, the NBA was doing this as sort of a hoax, just for attention. But she was also inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1992. So she really should be considered the first female NBA player. She was selected by the New Orleans Jazz. And apparently, I've heard differing things. I've heard that she didn't play, and then I heard she did play. I heard that she was selected by the New Orleans Jazz and um, was on their team in 1979. But so she is called the queen of basketball. Lucy Harris is what she goes by. She was something special, man. She was able to dominate teams uh, playing during college football. She played at Delta State women's, uh, Delta State on the women's basketball game, basketball team, pardon me. So big ups to her. Just wanted to give that shout out. You know, we just had Black History Month last month. So um, just wanted to bring that to your attention. There's another article out there floating around on glamour.com. It's called the girl boss era looked different for black women. So it's talking about, quote, the girl boss, close quote, and it looks different, right? What does she look like? What images come to mind? 
So um, the term was coined about eight years ago or so. And um, she had a New York Times, Sophia Amoruso had a New York Times bestselling manifesto. And so um, the girl bosses that society most elevated fit a singular mold. They were white. They were white. So um, from 2014 until 2019, women-owned businesses increased by 21%. And there was a call to support these entrepreneurs. But now, of course, we know that there are a lot of Black women businesses as well. So we have a lot of Black women businesses. Shout out to all the Black women who are out here doing the girl bossism thing. Um, because this group, Black women entrepreneurs, has been on a rise. American Express in 2019 did a report of the state of women-owned businesses and found that 2.7 million businesses nationwide are owned by Black women. That is a 50% increase from 2014, 50%, 50%. But yet these Black women founders were not as represented in the media for their achievements in business. Now ain't that some damn shit. So there were no Netflix, no Netflix series talking about Black girl bosses, but um, we were the biggest growing entrepreneurs in 2019. So the Black girl boss is a little different and we're different because of different factors such as access to capital, access to capital, right? So when you think of a girl boss, we think of people like Rihanna who has uh, her company Savage X Fenty. She raised $310 million, $310 million for that business. She sought out investors. You don't have to have investors, but people say don't use your own money. And Rihanna, we know, has money, and she didn't use her own money. She raised $310 million from inv investors. So although a Black woman-owned company is started every day, their businesses are only averaging $24,000 in revenue compared to 143,000, let's say I'm going to round up, compared to $143,000 among all women-owned companies. So although we have a lot of businesses, we're not making a whole lot of money. So we got to help one another. We got to support each other and we got to talk more and communicate more and do more together, guys, because of this, uh, this Black woman entrepreneurship thing. We can enhance it. We can do more. We can make more. We can get more investments. We can build our portfolios and have more successful businesses, right? What's the point in owning a business if it's not successful? So uh, there's been other reports. I want you to read this article, though. It's on glamour.com. Read about Black women and uh, women in business and just about different things such as black women making millions There's a black woman making millions academy so on to the next topic tonight we're talking about depression we're talking about pardon me we're talking about functional depression this is not a clinical term it's not a 
uh, um, specific or not a formal mental health diagnosis or disorder. It is not in the Bible of diagnoses for mental health professionals, which we call the DSM-5. It is not. And so this conversation came about because former, former Miss USA from 2019, Chelsea Christ, prompted conversations about high-functioning depression. If you can recall, she died by suicide actually the day before my birthday on January 30th. And um, there was a phrase that dominated social media and in the news, high-functioning depression, high-functioning depression. So it came from her mother because her mother, April Simpkins, said that her daughter, 30-year-old Chelsea, was dealing with, oh, let me place this in quotes, pardon me, 30-year-old, quote, was dealing with high-functioning depression, which she hid from everyone, including me, her closest confidant, until very shortly before her death, close quote. Now, I just want to reiterate. High-functioning depression is not a clinical diagnosis. It's not found in the Bible of diagnoses, which we call the DSM. It's the, that stands for Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's a handbook that's used by mental health professionals. Um, High-functioning depression instead is a colloquial term that has grown in popularity in recent years. And so I believe it's grown in popularity because of the shame that people feel in just simply saying they suffer from depression. They should just simply say they have a depressive disorder, but because they want it to sound a certain way, I believe this phrase was coined and they call it high functioning depression. And so by calling this high functioning depression, we can actually enhance or increase shame in the misunderstanding about mental health and depression. Saying someone is high functioning, even though they have a mental illness in and of itself raises the stigma associated with the mental illness. I just want to make that clear. Calling someone high functioning, high functioning, whether it's a high functioning alcoholic, high functioning heroin addict, high functioning depressed person with depression, it's not helpful. And we must do away with this non-medical term. It is not helpful at all. And so when you do a little research about, quote, high-functioning depression, close quote, typically it's associated with an actual mental health disorder, which is called persistent depressive disorder. In the past, PDD was called dysthymia. Dysthymia is someone who has symptoms of depression, sadness, and other accompanying symptoms for two years. They have these symptoms for several months, and these symptoms don't go away for longer than two months. So there are, there are all sorts of different types of depressive disorders, but again, high-functioning or functional depressive disorder is not one. It is not one. It is not a diagnosis. And I do believe it causes people not to seek help because they hear high functioning or functioning and they then determine or decide, well, I'm functioning, I must be okay. And they don't go and seek help. 
So I'm not sure what happened with the former Miss USA, if she was in therapy, if she spoke to a psychiatrist ever, if she was ever prescribed any medications, but someone who has any form of depression needs to and should seek help. There's a lot of people out here who are very productive, who make money, who might be in the um, upper percentile of income earners and have everything that appears to equate to being happy, but they are not happy, they're depressed. High-functioning, depressed people include lawyers, doctors, graduate students, first responders, police officers, people in the military, the single mother, the alienated father, the alienated parent. And we can't leave out entertainers. Entertainers suffer a lot from depression as well as anxiety, but entertainers suffer a lot from depressive disorders. And most oftentimes they don't seek help. And what I have found is that a lot of comedians have depression. I mean, take a look at Robin Williams from you know back in the day. Robin Williams allegedly committed suicide. Now, later his family came out and said, no, it wasn't suicide. And I think they didn't want it to be suicide because of they felt shame, I suppose, and felt embarrassment that Robin Williams killed himself but he allegedly killed himself. He committed suicide. Depression is depression. And high functioning can be incorrectly interpreted as a less serious form when it isn't. It's still a serious form of depression. Just people find a way to push through. And I saw somewhere on the Washington Post where it said this is more associated with people of color because of the lack of access to care that we have, the financial barriers that we have in accessing care. But high-functioning depression, based on my experience, affects men, women, every shade, every color, every culture, every ethnicity. Everyone is affected by high-functioning depression. And oftentimes, these people who have high-functioning depression also have or are also functional alcoholics, They're also functional drug addicts because what happens is they self-medicate. They are suffering from the depression, the symptoms, and they self-medicate with things like cannabis, AKA weed with cocaine to get, you know, an upper to feel better. Some people pop pills like Xannies and bars and footballs and oxys and perks and things like that. Some people use Molly. Some people drink alcohol. And unbeknownst to them, doing these things actually worsen your mood. Alcohol is a depressant. It makes you feel low. It hits the certain receptors in the brain that actually lead to emotions that feel like sadness, which is what happens when you take certain pills as well. So no, please. Get away from using the term high-functioning depression because these people are not high-functioning at all. When you look at them, they're barely making it. You know, I went through the Instagram of former Miss USA and I could see right through her post 
And oftentimes I can. As a mental health professional, I've been doing this since 2003. Um, not as long as some of my other colleagues, but long enough. And I also have a very um, connected spirit and I'm very intuitive. So I can tell based on how someone is posting, what they're writing, what they're sharing, when they're experiencing certain things in their life. So when you go through former Miss USA's Instagram, a lot of her posts and commentary are consistent with suffering from depression. We got to normalize this conversation and start educating on depressive disorders because there's not just one type of depression right there's different types of depression there's several different types the most severe types of depressive disorders occur with something called major depressive disorder and even this has um, variations you know you can have mild major depressive disorder this is someone who is experiencing low mood, maybe an, a loss of interest in doing things for fun or relaxation. They may be isolating themselves. They may not be going around family members. They may have noticed changes in their sleep and or their appetite. They don't feel motivated. They have low energy. They, you know, when I said changes in sleep or appetite, they could either be sleeping more, sleeping less, or eating more, or eating less, but they're not suicidal. However, if there's no intervention, if they don't seek help, this can actually worsen and it can worsen to more severe, more severe types of the symptoms that I just named. They're more intense, more severe. And this person may start thinking like, I shouldn't be here. Why am I on earth? They may wake up the next morning and say, damn it, I woke up. I wish I could have just slept. I wish I could just remain sleeping. And then, so, you know, maybe that would be considered moderate major depressive disorder. When it becomes severe major depressive disorder, this person actually starts to think about suicide. They start thinking about not living anymore. Sometimes they begin to devise plans and how to kill themselves. And in types of depression, people also become indifferent. I didn't mention that. They become indifferent. They just don't care anymore. So this is, if you're dealing with a person who usually has an opinion about things and all of a sudden, or eventually, gradually, they become this person who just doesn't care. They don't have a game in the fight. They're not opinionated anymore. That might be a sign that they're going through something as well as a person who's usually a good decision maker, someone who can weigh the pros and the cons and is decisive and makes decisions. When someone is suffering from depressive disorders, they become ambivalent, a lot of them. They can't make decisions anymore. So the most severe form is major depressive disorder. And there's also something called bipolar affective disorder. Bipolar is an illness, I won't go into the details about that, but bipolar is an illness that includes or can include episodes of major depression or types of depression because see, there's a lot of different types of bipolar affective disorder. And so the most severe type of bipolar, bipolar one, is someone who has been manic. This is what we call it. They've been manic before. 
So it has something to do with the mood. They haven't been down in the dumps, but they've been up high. They feel like they're high without using anything to get high. We call that euphoria. And sometimes instead of being high and very happy, these people are angry and irritable and it comes with other symptoms too, not just this, the changes in the mood, but they have also experienced episodes of major depression. So because they've had those two variations in mood, we call it bi. Bi means two, bipolar. So those are the two most, most severe forms of depressive disorders. Um, and then under that, we have less severe forms. So persistent depressive disorder, I mentioned earlier during this episode, persistent depressive disorder, PDD, used to be called dysthymia. It lasts several months, it's two years, and the symptoms don't remit for longer than two months. So they're always feeling this low mood, this sadness, this fatigue, this low motivation, this disinterest, but it's not considered major depressive disorder because they may not have all of the symptoms. See, with these disorders, there's certain criteria. You have to have so many symptoms over a certain period of time. With persistent depressive disorder, they may not have as many of the symptoms that they experience in major depression, and it's not as intense. And uh, with major depressive disorder, you just need to have those symptoms for two weeks or more. But with persistent depressive disorder, it lasts for months. It's about two years. And so we used to call that dysthymia. And at times, someone can actually have an episode of major depression superimposed on persistent depressive disorder. So it can get complicated. And this is why you must see a psychiatrist. Now notice I said a psychiatrist because psychiatrists are the highest, the highest, the most well-trained mental health professionals out of all of the mental health professionals, out of psychiatric nurse practitioners, out of LCSWs, licensed clinical social workers, out of LMHCs, licensed mental health counselors, out of marriage and family therapists, out of psychologists. So when you have a complicated illness, you need to see a physician. Physicians who are certified, who have done the additional training in psychiatry and neurology are called psychiatrists. And some of these psychiatrists will actually do psychotherapy, not just medication management. For the most part, most psychiatrists do medication management, but there are some psychiatrists who specialize only in psychotherapy and they will prescribe a little bit on the side. So when you have a complicated mental health disorder, you should see the most highly trained person and that is a psychiatrist. Oftentimes, if you're seeing someone who's a master's level or if you're being seen by a psychiatric nurse practitioner who... These are nurses, um, they have bachelor's degrees in nursing, they go on to do two years, a master's level, and learning how to prescribe medications. They don't know enough. I love them to death. I have a lot of them who work on my team, but, and they'll admit to you, they know, they recognize they are not well-trained, not as well-trained as a psychiatrist, because psychiatrists, we are in school for eight years. And then we do four years of a residency and just learning about the brain. So you gotta see a psychiatrist. Now, so I mentioned the severe forms like major depressive disorder. I mentioned the major depressive episodes that can occur during bipolar. 
I also mentioned persistent depressive disorder, which is uh, which was formerly known as dysthymia. There's also seasonal affective disorder. This is when someone experiences depression and the associated symptoms because of the seasons. Basically, it occurs during the winter, during the fall slash winter. And we see this a lot in states or areas of the world where there's less sunlight, where it gets dark early, where the weather is usually gloomy and rainy. So I'm talking places like the state of Washington, Oregon, Oregon, excuse me, Canada, um, the New England states, like up in like Maine and Massachusetts and areas like that. So Alaska as well, seasonal affective disorder. And what's interesting is I've had a patient, a couple of patients who lived up north and experienced seasonal affective disorder and moved to Florida thinking that it would go away. It would remit right away. It did not remit right away. It's almost like their brain was programmed to go into that episode each year in the fall, at the end of the fall. And we all know in South Florida, it doesn't really get cold down here. Sometimes it gets a little chilly, but we have sunshine all day long. The sun doesn't set until about 630 or so. So, but initially it didn't go away. So if you have seasonal affective disorder and you move to a place that's sunny and bright and happy, don't expect, don't think it's going to go away right away. So still continue to see your mental health therapist. Still continue to see your psychiatrist if you're on medications and let them work with you to eventually taper you off your medications. Um, so, you know, stay in touch with your mental health folks. And when you are, when you move and you're, you know, you're someone who experiences mental health challenges, be sure that you find a psychiatrist before you move. You can go, everything's online now. You can go on your insurance website, pull up a list of names of people who are in your catchment area or your zip code. And, um, and you can pull up names and make appointments. You don't want to get down there and try to make an appointment when you move, because you could be waiting two, three months to see the psychiatrist. And that is a function of having nurse practitioners and PAs, physicians, assistants, because it gives people quicker access to care. And when they're working on a team, like, a te- like our team in my office is led by me, the psychiatrist, we go over cases, I review all of their cases, all of them, all of their cases. And when I see something that appears to be serious or it looks like it could become a problem, I bring it up to them. And oftentimes they bring it up to me first. They broach the subject first. So they'll tell me, hey, Dr. T, I got a patient I need to discuss with you. So you want to um, you want to have these things in place. Now, there are other forms of depressive illnesses that are not as severe. Um, there's things like adjustment disorder with depression. Sometimes someone going through financial issues or going through relationship problems or stress on the job, they may get diagnosed with adjustment disorder with depression. It means that there's something happening that typically isn't occurring and it is causing changes in your mood, low changes in your mood, blueness, sadness, blackness. So that person would have adjustment disorder with depression. There's also depressive disorder unspecified. This is someone who experiences symptoms that I mentioned earlier in the episode, but they don't rise to a level of meeting criteria of major depression or persistent depressive disorder or seasonal affective disorder. 
Um, so those are pretty much the main ones. And of course, there's grief and bereavement. And so the question is, okay, well, if I am experiencing this, how do I treat it? So first, let's talk about prevention, because there are things we can do to prevent, to try to prevent ourselves from experiencing these things. And the first thing is really living a happy, balanced life. You got to live a balanced life. You have to be healthy. You have to make healthy decisions. And when I say make healthy decisions, I mean for your brain as well as for your body. Physically, you have to make healthy decisions. Whatever you eat, it affects you and it affects your brain, not just how you look physically, but it affects you mentally. So you have to eat for your brain. You have to eat for your body. You have to eat healthy. So eating healthy is not, is not just for the heart, but it's for the brain as well. You got to take care of yourself. So what you put in your mouth is very important and can affect you. It can affect, affect you on how you feel, how you're able to cope. Certain things that we eat make us anxious. If we don't eat enough of certain things, we won't make enough feel-good chemicals the feel-good chemicals that are made by our brain to help manage our mood, to help prevent us from getting too anxious or prevent us from dipping down super low and becoming severely depressed. So you have to eat the right things. Eating the right things will help you make the building blocks that are needed to, to make these neurotransmitters, these brain chemicals, that help manage our moods. The brain chemicals are things like dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. But if you're just eating candy bars and potato chips and you know eating fried food and eating out all the time, you may not be consuming enough of the building blocks to create these things. And so your brain will continue to try to make it naturally, but our brains get tapped out at times. And it gets tapped out because we haven't fed or contributed to our bodies the way that we need to so our brain can continue to work and function. So diet is a big thing. Drinking plenty of water is another thing. You don't have to drink two gallons of water every day, but you got to drink consistently water throughout the day. Hydrating the brain is helpful. Exercising, doing regular exercising helps in increasing naturally the chemicals that are made by the brain exercising increases your dopamine levels. You know, have you heard of a runner's high? A runner's high is when someone is running and running, 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 running. Then all of a sudden they tap into this area of the brain where they just release all this dopamine. And if you're familiar with dopamine, you know, dopamine is a feel good chemical. And when there's this rush, this release of dopamine, this warm, fuzzy feeling just comes over you and you feel so good. That's a runner's high. And that actually can occur with other things as well. So think about the, the things you like to do to exercise and get your heart rate up. Maybe you like to go walking. Maybe you like to walk on the beach. Maybe you like to, to get on your Peloton. Maybe you like weight training, weightlifting. Find what makes you happy. And doing the little things like parking your car far away in the parking lot and walking up to the store obviously don't do this and endanger yourself late at night, but, you know, during the day park at the, the, the farthest and the farthest parking space from the building you're going into and take a walk, 
take the stairs when you're in a building instead of the elevator. If you don't want to take the stairs up, at least take the stairs down. Also doing things intermittently throughout the day, like doing squats, step-ups, push-ups. So keeping yourself active and, and exercising, that's also a good way to help prevent you from crashing and burning. The other way that we prevent ourselves from getting into one of these episodes is to maintain and have a healthy network, have a healthy circle of friends and family and supportive people who we know got our back. And these are people who are not bringing you more problems, right? Because we all have our own challenges in life. These are people who are not coming to you to borrow money every other week. These are people who are not coming to sleep on your couch because they don't know how to deal with their significant other. And he's coming, banging on the door, you know, grabbing her by the hair, pulling her out your house. It's not that. Having a healthy circle, these are people who also reflect your, your morals and your values in life meaning trying to do the best that you can and following the law, following the 10 commandments, not lying, being responsible, being helpful, being selfless, giving to others, giving of your time, just being a sweet person, acknowledging do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, you want people who are a reflection of you and your healthy status and how you decide to live life. What I'm saying basically is you don't need no drama. You don't need drama in your life. So if you have people in your circle who bring you drama and bad news, I thought about the whiz when I said that, because the lion said, don't bring me no bad news, <laughs> no bad news, no bad news, no bad news. Yeah. So sometimes our friends will have challenges too, and sometimes they will come with some stuff and that's okay. But someone who comes with a challenge every day and is just tapping you out. Every day they got something going on. You may not want them to be in your inner circle. And even family members do not have to be in the most inner part of your circle. If you have dramatic family members or people who are problematic or family members, push them outward, please. Push them out. They don't need, they shouldn't be in the center of your circle because see that negative energy that they create because of the drama that they cause for themselves. Most of the time when people are enduring problems, think about it. They bring on the problems themselves. I'm telling you because it's the decisions they're making. Think about your life. Think about uh, your significant other's life. Think about another friend's life. Think about a family member's life. Think about some of the things they have encountered and ask yourself honestly, did I do something that brought this on? Did I make a decision that caused this to happen? Now, obviously, everything is not brought on by a decision we make, such as someone passing away. That has nothing to do with us unless we killed them, unless we murdered them. But some things have nothing to do with you. But there are some things that do, that have a lot to do with you, such as perfect example, overspending. You're not living within the budget confines of your household. You're overspending. You know you only make a certain amount of money, but every month you want to keep up with the Joneses. So you're going and you're buying a Gucci bag or a Chanel bag or um, you know, something materialistic that you cannot afford. Because if you have to put, on a, put it on a credit card, you should be able to pay that bill off the next day, seriously. Or I'll give you to the end of the month. 
If you can't do that, you should not be making that purchase. You should not be making that that purchase. Don't do it. So that's just an example that I'm giving you. Living beyond your means, that brings a lot of stress into folks' lives because they end up living paycheck to paycheck. And living paycheck paycheck to paycheck means that you don't have money for recreational activities, for fun, to travel. And for some people, travel is therapy. I'm going to raise my hand on that. Me, travel is my therapy. So you want to budget your money. That's just an example that I'm giving of something that is volitional, a choice that we make and what we do and how we can cause a problem for ourselves. So you got to be careful in the decisions that you make. Choosing the wrong person to date. You know that he is a freaking drama king or you know she's a drama queen or you know that um you know they're into things like they like over drinking and getting drunk or they might you know bip a ball of coke here and there um making decisions to hang around a person like that is not healthy it's not healthy for you at all so you got to be careful in the decisions you're making because oftentimes it's the decisions we make that wreak the havoc, that bring on the problems. And so take responsibility. Take responsibilities for those responsibility for those problems that you're causing yourself and start to make different decisions. So we talked about eating healthy, exercising, being active. We talked about uh, not overdoing it with alcohol and drugs because we know that they can be depressants. We talked about having healthy people in our circle around us so that we have less drama, so that we have people who are supportive. So these are some of the things that can help prevent. Some of the other things that you can do are mindful things like yoga, tai chi, meditation, prayer, learning how to pray, learning how to meditate. And doing these things on a regular basis, along with some aromatherapy, burning some oil or burning an incense or, you know, burning something in the background that helps to relax you like lavender or lemon. I love the smell of lemon. I like lavender too, but, and there are a lot of aromas that I, that I love that help to relax me. So these are also other ways to prevent you from feeling overstressed. Because oftentimes, once we get to a point of severe stress, we start to feel anxious, we start to feel like we're suffocating, and that can become a type of or become an episode of depression, some sort of depressive disorder, one of the ones that I I named earlier in this episode. So you want to do these things on a consistent basis, consistently to help yourself so that you're making, you're managing your stress, you're keeping your stress levels down and you don't give yourself an opportunity to feel so stressed that you begin to feel like you're suffocating. And parents, teach your children how to communicate. Now that's the other big part of prevention is being able to communicate, communicating your feelings, being able to share what's going on with you. And knowing who to communicate with, that's a big part of it too. Knowing who you should entrust these things or these challenges that you may be going through. 
right? You don't want to share it with the big mouth of your group, the person who's going to go and tell everyone what's going on with you. You want it to be someone who's going to respect your privacy, someone who's not going to be turned on by the fact that you're having challenges because sometimes, hey, we do have associates in our circle who are like that. So that's not the person you want to talk to. You want to have good communication with your immediate family members, you know, and parents teach your children these things at a young age, teach them how to talk to you, teach them how to share, teach them how to share their emotions and their feelings so that they grow up being an adult who can share emotions and feelings. And you want to teach them not to be defensive, you know, when they make a mistake, own up to it. Don't point, you know, when someone brings it to their attention that they did something wrong and they try to point the finger at you as soon as you tell them something, correct them, tell them, no, that's not the response you should have. Take responsibility, own up to it. And then later we can talk about what you think I could do better. But for now, I brought this to your attention. We're dealing with you. So teach your children that communication, teach them responsibility, ownership of mistakes. Communication is key for so many things. Communication on the job and how you talk to other people and how you listen and show them that you're listening. Communication inside your home with your children, with your significant other. Or if your significant other doesn't live in the home, communication with your significant other who lives outside the home. Communication with your friends. Learning how to express yourself and not keep things bottled up inside. So these are all prevention strategies. Let's say you do all of these things and you're still struggling. You're still struggling. So. That's when you have to be honest with yourself and say, I got to go see someone. And some signs that you are struggling could be you're missing days from work. You're banging in more than you have before. You wake up and you just ain't feeling it. Someone wakes up and they just don't have the energy or the motivation or the desire to go to work. And this begins to happen more and more and more and more. Or you notice your college student, your college student has been missing days from school, not going to classes. Or your high schooler, your high schooler is missing days from school. Or you may notice that they're crying, they're more tearful. You may notice some of the symptoms that I told you about, they're not eating the same. Things that they, you know that they love to do, they are declining. They don't want to do them. So those are signs that you got to get them help. You have to talk to them about seeing someone. And I think it's appropriate to start with a, a psychotherapist. If you want to start with a psychiatrist who, who provides psychotherapy, or if you want to start with a master's level therapist, such as a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed mental health counselor a licensed marriage and family therapist, you can start with one of these folks. And this is a very, psychotherapy is a very specific way of engaging another person. It shouldn't feel like you're talking to your 
homegirl or your homeboy. It shouldn't feel like you're in the hair salon or the barbershop. Psychotherapy will feel like work because they will make you dig deep so that you can understand how you came to be in the space mentally that you are. And some of that may be baggage that's left over from childhood or baggage that's left from an old relationship or baggage that was that trickled over from the relationship with the parent. So encouraging them to go and see someone starting with psychotherapy. Now, someone is doing things like feeling like they want to kill themselves. You take them straight to a psychiatrist. If they have a plan on how they want to kill themselves, you take them to the hospital. You take them to the nearest ER. And you tell that doctor, my daughter, my son, my husband has a plan to kill themselves. I want them admitted to a psychiatric facility. So if that hospital doesn't have a, a psychiatric facility or a psych unit, they will transport that person to a hospital that does have a psych unit or take them to an actual psychiatric hospital. So that's what you have to do. Those are some of the things that we have to do. Some of the things. So if you're out here faking the funk, acting like all everything is hunky-dory and nothing is wrong with you, go and see someone. Stop faking it. And to the Washington Post and to the mother of the former Miss USA, she did not have high functioning depression because feeling suicidal and actually killing yourself, that's major depressive disorder. That's major depression. That, that lady was majorly depressed. That is not high functioning depression. Maybe mom wanted to see it as and consider it as high functioning depression because she didn't want to face the music. She didn't want to face the fact that her daughter was struggling with depression. And this is why Miss Former USA didn't want to own up to it because she didn't, seems like maybe she didn't have this. I don't want to make that assumption. I was going to say she didn't have the support from her mother or from family. I know they supported her in a lot of other ways, but did they support her in terms of her mental health and wellness? Hmm. What do you think about that? I'm reading somewhere where someone says I was diagnosed as a high functioning depressive. No, baby, you were not diagnosed with that. You may have been told you have depression and you function, which is what a lot of people have been told. But that's not a diagnosis. If you're going to a mental professional, especially if it's a physician or a psychologist, tell them you want your diagnosis. Tell them, what is my diagnosis? And ask them to explain it to you. How did they arrive at that conclusion? Sometimes it may take half the appointment to do that. And that's okay. Because you should understand what's happening. You should understand how they're creating your treatment plan. Your treatment plan gets, treat, gets created from the diagnosis and from the symptoms that you have. Some people may need medication, psychotherapy. And all the other things that I mentioned that you have to do to balance life. And when you listen, if you listen to the end of this episode, you'll hear my definition 
of brain love. Brain love is an acronym and it stands for different things. And these things are what we have to do in life to manage and make it and be happy and be content. You may not be happy every day, but you can be content. You can be content. I remember I was telling you that it's not just colored folks <laughs> or melanated individuals who have high-functioning depression. A lot of folks have high-functioning depression. And I'm going to give you a history lesson. Winston Churchill coined this term, black dog of depression. He was characterized as having high-functioning depression. He was also a high-functioning high alcoholic during World War II. So this is a man that was making some decisions regarding the war, and he was depressed and also an alcoholic. Mm, that can be dangerous. That can be dangerous. So I hope you learned some things during this episode. I hope you learned some things. When I think about high-functioning depressive people, so many folks come to mind. I mentioned some in the beginning. Entertainers are in there too. Comedians, singers, hip-hop artists. J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar. Jay-Z even admitted he went through a bout of depression, as did Beyonce. So, and some of these people probably had mental health challenges before they even got into the business. So it's not that they got into the business and the business created this for them. Some of these people were already suffering. Some of the most talented, talented people have the most fucked up lives. And I believe because of the challenges they had in childhood and in their timeline, that's what drove their passion and made them who they are, made them so good at whatever it is that they do. Mariah Carey is one of those people she said she used to go in her room and go under the blanket and just sing when she was sad. She would listen to the radio in her bedroom. Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin had a challenging childhood. James Brown. <laughs> James Brown. Man, the king of soul, I think, is his, how we regard him. He had a very fucked up life. His mama didn't even want him. Didn't want him. So before these people became entertainers, they had challenges in life. And they were able to parlay that passion, that energy into something that was just so, so intense so intense that they became the best at whatever it was they were doing. And what's the young lady's name? I think it's Mickey Howard, who, who had a very rough upbringing. Her mother threw her out of the house, made her leave home. And um, I think she too used that as a way to become the powerful singer she became. So Mickey Howard, and of course, we know Phyllis Hyman. And uh, again, comedians. And I think comedians become so funny because they have so much fucked up shit going on. 
they got to find a way to make themselves laugh. So, all right, guys, I'm going to wrap it up. This is Dr. Delvina. We're on the couch talking about high-functioning depression, which don't exist. So don't retain that in your memory. Instead, retain depressive disorders. Try to think of some of the ones I've mentioned, major depression, persistent depressive disorder, adjustment disorder. I didn't mention too much postpartum depression. Postpartum depressive disorder or postpartum depression, pardon me, is really now basically major depression. So that's what we're, that's what we're working with. If you need assistance, please feel free to call the office at 305-981-1700. Again, 305-981-1700. If you have a specific question for me, please send me an email at info at drdelvina.help. That's I-N-F-O at D-R, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, dot help, H-E-L-P info at drdelvina.help. And um, I think that's going to do it for tonight. All right, everybody. So again, go and see someone if you think you fall into this category of being a functional depressed person. Let's just say if you're depressed, go and see someone. Okay. All right. Brain love. What's up, guys? So I just want to remind you about the ways you can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Delvina at Dr. D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A. I no longer have a Dr. Delvina Twitter or a Dr. Delvina Facebook professional page. Both of those were unpublished. Um, I won't get into the details of that, but... Um, Instead of following Dr. Delvina on Twitter, follow the office Twitter page, which is which is DRT Brain Love, DRT Brain Love, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E, DRT as in Dr. T, DRT. And on Facebook, you can follow the Brain Love podcast. And of course, if you are not following me on Instagram, follow me at Dr. Delvina. And my website is Dr. Delvina, Dr. Shorten, Dr. And then Delvina, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A dot help, H-E-L-P. As in help me, help me, Dr. Delvina. And um, tell your friends, tell everybody about the Brain Love Podcast. Please subscribe. Subscribe either on Pandora, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. If you're on Anchor, subscribe on Anchor. Show me some love, y'all. Show me some love. That's right. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need, it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. 
Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes. Learn from them and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.